0: Welcome to Wood Talk, for woodworkers by woodworkers. Now, here are three guys who have great personalities. Mark, Matt, and Shannon.
1: All right, welcome everybody to another episode of Wood Talk. And today we're doing another one of those single topic episodes. And specifically, we're going to talk about hybrid woodworking and how you might integrate hand tools into your power tool shop. And when does a hand tool make more sense? And when is it just plain dumb?
0: (laughs) Yeah, this is going to be fun. Uh, Oh, is I supposed to give an answer to when it's
1: plain dumb? Not yet, not yet. Save it. Oh, sorry, okay. Today's show is brought to you by Festool. Some tools stand apart the most when they're working all together. Explore a full system designed to deliver more precise results at festoolusa.com. Uh, this is uh, obviously a, a topic that's dear and dear to my heart, and it's a topic that I wrote and my my first book was published on. So I do have a lot to say about it. But I will admit, it's at the end of the day, we haven't <laughs> we haven't prepared a whole lot for this, and we're just kind of winging it. So if we're a little all over the place and disorganized. Eh, forgive us, but we just want to talk about this and kind of hash it out a little bit. Yeah, just because he wrote the book on highwood woodworking doesn't mean he actually read it. Well, I've got like like I said before, I've got it open to page ten. And I will be reciting uh, thusly.
0: And, uh, <laughs> I, I think at this point we should put a disclaimer out there that if this is your first episode of Wood Talk, stop listening right now. Maybe go back to a different one. I would make a recommendation Maybe the last for one, one right? of our <laughs> best ones would be – Insert that number here. 172. On editing. <laughs> Last episode was pretty good. But
1: uh, yeah, and the thing is, you know, I want to, at the top here, just apologize to the woodworking community for doing something that I, that kind of annoys me when I see it. When people give terms to things and almost make up a new term for something that already existed and then the, the vast majority of people out there start to utilize that term, that could actually get kind of annoying. And that's what happened to some extent with hybrid woodworking. Um, people probably used that phrase before I said anything about it and I used it back in an article that I wrote for Pop Woodworking back in 2008 Um, and it's something that kind of catches on because I I think it's a cool thing to say and I think that's why people like it but the truth is people have been doing this combination of hand tools and power tools since it was possible to do a combination of hand tools and power (laughs) tools Um, this new terminology for it is just something that caught on and you know what can I say so I do apologize for that because I know for some people it's pretty annoying when they hear that but um, I don't know what to tell you. It's, I had to sell a book. <laughs> you know? I, I'm pretty <laughs> sure
0: the shaker community was doing hybrid woodworking. So. Yeah,
1: yeah. Potentially, yeah. right? So yeah. Most people say
0: equipment. they invented
2: the circular saw blade so basically as they invented tools, they used
0: power tools. But still you know, I think they were actually trying to create a better wheel and it just turned out to be a dangerous wheel so they put <laughs> it in the use of cutting wood.
1: That doesn't go through the dirt very well. In fact, it <laughs> digs into the dirt. Um, so you know what we're going to do here Since uh, Shannon did a lot of the prep work on this I'm going to let him be the captain of the ship today And uh, introduce the topic and the email that we got Pertaining to it and we'll jump right into it
2: Alright well it seems only fair that I kind of moderate this discussion Because obviously I'm a bit of a hand tool zealot mm-hmm. And I've I've fallen off the deep end So for me to talk about why it makes sense to use hand tools in certain areas I'm obviously biased So what I'm really looking for from you guys is some honest feedback as you know both of you would be hybrid woodworkers and you know someone will come to me and say well how would I do this and I'm immediately well pull out the plow plane or pull out the rabbit plane and you know I don't want that perspective frankly so I'm I'm useless in this episode. Huh. I really just want to hear how you guys would handle things. And you know if I have <clears throat> some elitist comment to
0: throw in I will certainly do that later. Yeah, so, we are definitely hoping for that to be quite nice. honest. we have to keep well, the friction going.
2: There, there's been there's been a, a couple of questions but I got one from Dave that really kind of crystallized this whole thing for me Dave is really your kind of typical woodworker he's uh, you know been doing it for a while has been in the kind of the DIY world for a while got a little bit more serious but his experience goes all the way back to like high school shop class so he's he's no beginner by any means Um Basically, all is well in his shop. He's got, you know, a saw stop, he's got a six inch joiner, a bandsaw, a drill press, a planer, a DeWalt planer, a couple other hand power tools. And, you know, he's cranking out projects. Um, It's not like he's never done a project before. He's done several projects and kind of it all, it's all going great, you know? But he keeps hearing about these hand plane thingies and wonders what value would they really bring to his shop when, you know, it all seems to be working just fine. So, to, to quote him, he says, I'm trying to figure out when I would use a hand plane. Can you explain the benefits of using one over any of the uh, above power tools he has and what gap they might fill? So certainly we, we can talk about hand planes, but I wanted to kind of throw this out to you guys and just discuss categories of hand tools. And in, in your typical power tool shop, how would you use them? When would you use them? And really, what would be the advantage? So starting with, with hand saws, um, when would you ever pick up a non-back saw? When would you pick up a typical hand saw or a panel saw? Would you ever use one? When
0: the power goes out. <laughs>
1: yeah. When, uh, when my blades are out for sharpening? Um, now, I think for me, it's, that's a general utility tool in my shop and I've got a decent selection of hand saws now that I try to pretend that I like to use all the time, but I don't, um, But the thing is, you know, if you have a little Dozuki, that can be really handy to have around and any kind of small format general purpose saw I think is really handy because there are just times where uh, maybe you've got a little excess hanging off the edge of something and you need to trim it and it's really not feasible to do with a block plane or you'll get a lot of tear out. It's just so much easier to take a saw and zip, zip, zip and it's done. So you're just like the block plane kind of becomes a little bit of a utility tool that gets used for a hundred different things, uh, I think you have to have a general utility handsaw saw for that same type of thing. You'll, when, you, when you get it in your head that this is something that you actually can use, suddenly you find a lot more uses for it when you need a delicate cut made in a specific place. So for me, at least, having one general purpose saw is absolutely key.
2: Now to be clear, what you... A general purpose saw. It sounds like you're talking about a backsaw, right?
1: You could use a backsaw, even if you have a dovetail saw. Like, let's say you want to get into dovetailing, you buy a nice fine tooth dovetail saw. That could be good too, because most of the time this is for fine cuts. Uh, I'm not right. talking about re- replacement for cutting joinery or, or uh, you know getting initial milling of your boards and cutting them down. So a small dovetail saw, a dozuki, a ryoba is a good option. Where you've got um, don't most of them have uh, a crosscut and rip on on both sides or one side is crosscut, the other side is rip. Um, that could be, so, yeah. yeah, that could be a super versatile thing to have in the shop. So thinking in terms of general purpose, I don't really, I think it should go on the, the finer side of cutting okay. than on the rough side.
0: Yeah. See, and, and for, my, for myself, the only uh, panel saw that I, I really use is a, a crosscut. I know a lot of people will say something like, well, why don't you have a, a rip saw? That would be kind of good for certain materials. And I use, My hand saws, uh, my panel saw, I should say, uh, specifically for breaking down rough lumber. Now, I know a lot of people either use a circular saw or, say, a jigsaw because obviously you'll get through the material faster. But for me, it it just – when I've got like a large board or even a a medium-sized one and I want to break it down into smaller boards, that's where I tend to grab my my hand saw. Mm -hmm. And it works out perfect in my shop because it, it gets right down to a position that I can easily control it. And when it's nice and sharp, I can get through it rather quickly. But I agree with you, Mark. There are certain other ones where, you know, um, like a dovetail, dovetail saw, there are little actions I'll do with that that maybe that saw is not even intended for. But, man, does it really it, – it helps out in a pinch. Sure.
1: Yeah, right. and the other thing that you just brought up that I thought – a lot of people might get some use at. If you have a panel saw or you have some sort of a rough cutting saw like that, it's a great thing to keep in your trunk or Absolutely. in your vehicle you know, because if you're in the at the lumber yard and you got something that's a little bit too big for your vehicle, it's a good thing to have on hand even as a power tool user because you don't have to worry about charging the batteries. It will always work and it's just there waiting for you to chop down some boards and make them safe to transport home. Um, yep. l- let me add in one more saw to this as well, and it might be a little bit overlooked because it's kind of a specialty thing. But a flush trim saw. Oh um, yeah, yeah. You know, use mine all the time. I am lost without that thing. I mean, there's so many times where I've just got to get that one light little cut to flush something up. If you're using some uh, maybe some proud dowels or plugs that are uh, hiding screw heads, things like that, you you just will use the heck out of a flush trim saw. So to me, that's another must have.
2: Yeah. So in, in kind of summing up this category, is it safe to say that in general, you guys are not going to actually form joinery, but you might refine joinery with a saw?
1: Yes, and for me, I have gone into cutting some joinery with saws and that's why I do actually have a tenon saw. I've got, I have got I need that extra depth of the blade that my dovetail saw won't give me necessarily. Mm-hmm. So it's not something I do all the time, but there are times when making a particular joint would be just super difficult, like especially larger format joints might be difficult uh, and I find sometimes it's just easier to do it with a handsaw.
0: Yep, absolutely right here. I
1: highly, highly recommend
2: the trunk saw, <laughs> whatever yeah. you want to call it, yeah. just because there's been many a time when I've been at the lumber yard and, you know, I don't have a truck or anything like that. I can sometimes fit an eight-foot board in, but it's, it's not safe. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's just not safe to be driving around with it like that. Right. But nine times out of ten, if I'm rushed— or, you know, or if I ask the lumber yard to make some cuts for me, you know, it's not one of those things, well, can you make 20 cuts? No, it's like, can you cut this board in half or that board in half? And I'm certainly not going to ask the the lumber dude to, you know, cut it to an exact dimension. So I usually need a little bit of time to kind of think it through and this done gets done in the parking lot. And, right. you know, unless you've got an extension cord or, you know, a really trustworthy cordless circular saw or something like that, uh, that, that. Crosscut, you know i've got a six point per inch crosscut saw that lives in the trunk of my car and it's it's awesome for that i end up saving a lot of lumber because you know when you cut it in half take that eight foot board and cut it into two four footers and then you end up you need a three foot piece in the project and you've got that one foot basically trash
1: mm-hmm.
2: that you know at eight dollars a board foot you're like do i just <laughs> threw eight to ten dollars in the trash you know or it goes in the scrap pile never to be used ever again that that
0: trunk saw is awesome You know, one more saw that I was just thinking about this. I was running down my list of of the saws that I have in there. What do you guys think about like a coping or a fret saw? I don't use it frequently, but when I do, I'm so happy I have it. Say if I was doing – sometimes I use it for when I'm cutting dovetails. Uh, I've also used it for removing material off of the back of uh, molding, say like crown molding or something like that. Uh, Again, it's like one of those – Nice to have. I mean, it's it's. I don't use it constantly, but I'm really glad I have a decent one.
1: I think the two examples you just brought up are probably two of the primary reasons anyone would even need or want to own one. <laughs> right. I was trying <laughs> to think of another one, and even
0: I don't use them for things other than that. Yeah. I mean, sometimes when I'm I'm cutting out little monograms,
1: maybe inlay or something like that. You might need a fret saw for uh, very fine work. It's very specialty stuff, so I, I don't think you. I wouldn't put it on a must have list unless doing hand cut dovetails is a must have technique for you you're probably going to need right. one. Yep. And that's probably
2: the one joinery instance where you're going to find more people doing it by hand. So the tools that kind of go along with the dovetailing process, I think you'll see those in more power tool shops than anything else True. just because yeah. I don't know whether it's whether it's we've just come to believe that that's, you know, a better dovetail joint or, you know, that's probably all hype, but it just yeah. or people are just afraid to say they use a jig. Because they'll get, you know, ostracized or well, something
1: like that. You know that. what's weird too, and I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm the only one. I'd like to hear from people um, coming from a DIY background. Just someone who was doing things in my house, baseboard, molding, stuff like that. For some reason, I have no idea why. But when I started woodworking, I already had two coping saws.
0: Uh, <laughs> and
1: I don't, I don't think I've I, like I maybe used them once. So I don't what like why would I have coping saws in the first place? I have no idea.
0: You know, it's almost like one of those things, like when you're walking through a store and you might see like, a, oh, that's a really good utility knife or something. Yeah. You grab it, even though you're probably never going to use it. Yeah. Uh, and a coping saw, I think I was the same exact way. I had one for the longest time and somebody was like, do you have any saws? I'm like, yeah, I got a coping saw. It's over there. Yeah, it's like, what
1: What am I? Oh, of course I need a coping saw. Why don't I have? I Okay, I'll have two, in fact.
2: It's <laughs> <laughs> funny. It was the same way. And I, I actually did use it to cope some crown molding, uh, actually, in the room I'm sitting in right now, mm-hmm. like well before – you know, I, I got down the, the hand tool rabbit hole. And yeah. yeah, that was just one of the tools that I inherited from my wife's grandfather. That seems, uh, that, I'd
0: be curious to know if Dave actually has one as it seems like that is such a typical tool that even if he's all power tool, there's that part of me that wonders if there's one hanging on the, on the wall, maybe he's going to reach up and move it now <laughs> so nobody can see it. Yeah. <laughs> right.
2: Well, let's, let's take a look at, at hand planes. This is, um, I think probably a little bit more of an area where you're going to find more of these in your power tool shop. So, um, looking at let's, let's ignore the joinery planes just yet. Uh, how much would you guys use your typical bench plane, your Stanley one through eight? Um, how much do you find yourself using those and why?
1: well I'll tell you what when i this is something that if um anyone wants to get deeper into my opinion on it, clearly, this is what I laid out in my book It's like I extensively went into detail on it um and I hope I don't contradict what what I put in there at this point so um for me, I put most of the bench planes in a category of like you don't necessarily need them right away if you're trying to add to your power tool shop. They're things that are all secondary that you can eventually work into the process. Um, So I don't consider any of them necessary, but for me, uh, if you're, well actually let me take a step back, the jack plane, if you're going to add that one plane to your shop to kind of wet your feet and get into it a little bit, I think the jack plane, specifically a low angle jack plane, is going to be very versatile and is really going to give you an introduction to what it's like to use these at various points in the process, um, which I think has a lot of overlap to talking about those individual range, the the range of bench planes that we have to play with and what each one of them does. I think you could satisfy a lot of that activity with a low angle jack plane. Yeah, right. um,
2: I can think of a, actually I think it was a Wood Whisper video. Maybe it was a Guild video, but the, yeah. you ran into a situation where it was that chest you built for Dwayne or with Dwayne ah, yes. um, years ago where the, the lid didn't like sit flush on the top. Mm-hmm. It right. had a little bit of twist to it or something like that. And you used – I think you used a joiner plane there. But besides the point, you used a hand plane to kind of finesse that fit so that it worked uh, – so that it sat perfectly flush to the top of that chest. I yeah. think that's a, a perfect example of when you might want a slightly larger plane. sure. Um, Although I suppose a case could be made for using a block plane to do the same thing.
1: Yeah, if you're good at it, you just have to take more strokes and check your progress a little bit more. Um, So for me, I think initially some of the, I mean a smoothing plane of course, smooth planes are fantastic because they're going to, if you get the hang of using it and you don't get a whole bunch of tear out with it, you're going to save yourself so much time and sandpaper Uh, If you're used to just doing a completely power tool approach, you're making a lot of dust during that Mm, process, you know, so a couple of strokes of a smooth plane can save you like significant amounts of time and sandpaper, uh, which is a really compelling reason to think about incorporating Mm. one.
0: Yeah, because you're not choking on all that dust if you really think right. about it. Well,
1: and the results generally are better. You, know, you don't have to work your way up to 320 grit to get a nice glass smooth surface. You just take a, a single pass. Um, it's not all you know, roses and uh, candy. Sometimes you get the uh, track marks from one stroke to the next. You may not get it perfect, but you might get it to the point where all you do need to do is a quick light 320 grit sanding or 220 grit sanding and call it done. Uh, right, def- yeah. Definitely a time saver. Yeah. How about I don't you, from- Matt?
2: Do you have anything specific with, with bench planes that you might
0: find a use for it? Well, I, for me, I, you know, kind of in, in my history, the first bench plane that I br- I started out with was uh, the number four, and I've, I've since then I've gotten to the point that I always recommend to people to go with a number five. So even in a power tool situation, I would probably want to have that number five for some of the reasons that that Mark definitely mentioned there, and just from my own experience. It's such a versatile tool that it's mm-hmm. easy, you know. If you have a number five and then maybe a second blade, you easily have a tool that is both can be used for rough work and for smooth work at the same time. So it, it it's such a versatile tool. Um, other than that, I don't think I have anything else to add, sir. Uh, well,
2: well, I think I think it's interesting <laughs> because. Call it marketing, call it whatever. There's this huge push for hand planes, specifically bench planes. Mm-hmm, yes. And you, you hear, I hear about all these guys going out and buying a jack plane or buying a smooth plane or a joiner plane. And you know, I've already said the joiner plane's overrated in our overrated episode. <laughs> um, and and I've I've found myself telling people, skip them, skip them all together. If you if you already have the capacity to mill stock, uh, flat and square and and all that stuff, then the bench planes are are almost useless i mean you will find some things like we just talked about but ultimately i'm telling people spend your money on joinery planes that's the place that's really the
0: place to start so before you you go there let let me just say again going back into my own history uh one of the uh, as soon as i got my number four and i got my number five i immediately had to get that number seven we all know those people that are like i've got to get the whole compliment (laughs) gotta get i will I will say that as soon as I got my number seven, I immediately told myself, man, I got to get myself a power jointer. I hate using this number seven. I cannot stand it. So I will break it out once in a great while and people have seen it in videos and stuff. But for the life of me, I will figure out any way possible to get that wood over to the jointer because I hate using that number seven that much. Yeah, and you know, a a sort of
1: a repeating theme that I try to remind people uh, constantly is, is this sort of mantra of enhance, don't replace. And I think if you've already got tools that do an exceptional job of milling and they give you a nice straight edge or a nice flat surface, those are the things that you don't necessarily need out of out of your initial set of hand tools. And that's why I'm, I'm in total agreement with you, Shannon, that you should really be focusing on the things that aid you in fine joinery, not so much the workhorse stuff like milling because you've already got the tools that do that. So buying that number seven or number eight is probably not the best idea because you've already got tools that serve that function. Um, You could buy a smaller format plane that'll be more versatile that if you do need to do some specialty operation where you need to knock down a corner or pre-flatten a face ahead of time because it's too wide for your jointer, you could still do that with a plane that's a little bit smaller and more versatile.
2: Right. So in directly answering Dave's question, because he's specifically asking us about hand planes, he's got a joiner. He's got a six-inch joiner. He's got a a planer. Mm -hmm. So he can, and, and a a you know, table saw, so there's no reason why he can't s6s a board um, with the tools that he already has. So where does that gap? What gap might they fill in his shop? And it sounds to me, well, certainly I I do think there's merit to a block plane. You know, you you mentioned knock down a corner uh, mark just a second ago. Knock down that razor sharp edge that will cut your finger open on the edge of a board. Sure. Um, block plane's awesome for that. Uh, if you need to add a slight chamfer or something like that. Just break those edges. I think the plane's going to be so much better than you imagine. Taking like a trim router with a eighth inch roundover bit set to take a sixteenth of an inch off just sounds silly. So I think that's probably one of the best planes that he can add. But I think where the rubber really meets the road is in joiner planes. Yeah. So I want to throw it to just a, a, another question, real quick, from Mike that I think can set us up for this. He says in a hybrid shop where I use a router table and a table saw, is there ever a need to own a plow plane and a rabbit plane, such as the Veritas skew rabbit plane? So, um, Mark, uh, turn to page twelve in your okay. book. Hold on, what page it is? What <laughs> when you're talking joiner planes? Um, what what do you recommend?
1: Okay. Well, first of all, let me just say something I should have said at the beginning because I want to make sure that people understand that none of this is truly necessary. And If you have a Hmm. power tool shop and you have all these things, like he says, he's got a router table and a table saw and and he can't figure out why he needs that, well, the truth is he doesn't. And we're talking about we're, <laughs> right. we're talking about absolute need. Don't ask for trouble. Yeah, I mean the thing is, you can get all of this stuff done. All the essentials can get done with power tools. You don't ever have to touch a hand tool. We're talking about refining the process when we start to bring in hand tools, and also some of the other intangible aspects of using hand tools that make us feel closer to the craft and, and closer to the thing that we're building. So I do want to make sure we don't come across as, as saying that any of this is truly necessary. It's only necessary when you make that decision that you want hand tools incorporated into your work, even if it doesn't necessarily make things faster. Uh, it certainly may make things better for you. And in some cases will slow some things down.
2: That's very true. I mean that's essentially the process I took. Right. You know, I was as power tool as all of these guys. You know, I had the full blown router table and table saw and bandsaw and joiner, planer, all that stuff. And it was a slow for me, it was a personal decision. It was a slow replacement over time. Right. I right. I, I enhanced to use your terms, Mark. And then mm-hmm. eventually I was like, I love doing this. I'm just going to replace it. Um, and believe me, efficiency was never really
1: something that was a consideration <laughs> point. Right, but your satisfaction went through the roof. Absolutely. You know? no okay, question. so now uh, it to- totally went off on a tangent there. So, what what was your specific question related to um, Mike's? I'm
2: curious question? in in looking at, in terms of Mike's question. Let's address kind of the plow plane and rabbit plane question. Would you ever see a need for that in your typical power tool shop?
1: Only if I deliberately wanted to go slower. <laughs> No, actually, I'm going to take issue <laughs> with that because
0: you know there, we always joke around about this whole thing, and I know you're joking. You're joking around, right? No. Okay. I, yeah. I well, put it this way: I don't <laughs> no, own it either. I, I so. seriously think that it's, it comes down to uh, proficiency, and once you become proficient, sure it may not be quite as fast as being able to run through with, with your router but I think in the end they, they come pretty close.
1: Well it can be just as fast if you're doing these one off things. You know, Maybe right. you've got one right. drawer and you need to put a rabbit on all sides of a solid wood panel let it float in the bottom. You actually by the time I get my bit chucked up and get everything set up for the right cut or do it at my table saw whatever the setup is you very well if you're really really fast and you're good you may have that done before I'm done with mine. So there right. certainly is, is that side of the argument. For me personally, though, I've just never really found – I used to have a couple of these and I auctioned them off for charity. I gave them away basically because I just don't use them enough. I couldn't justify it uh, since I've got so much in the way of router capacity in my shop.
0: Right, right.
2: I think that it's safe to say that any joinery plane that has a fence is unnecessary um, because – if you're forming, say, the rabbit, you form that on the table saw or the the router table. Um, so you already have the extents, the outer extents of that joint set. If maybe you wanted to refine it, say, you know, like the typical router plane usage where you want to make sure that data was completely flat all the way across, you're not referencing off anything at this point. So you don't need a fence. Um, you just need to go in and you basically stay within the lines. So. Right. Um, you know, plow plane and especially the Veritas skew
0: rabbit plane, I, I think, are almost useless.
2: It's a, t- and, it's a tough and argument. And on top of it,
0: again, going back to the proficiency thing, if you're not proficient, especially, say, with that the any of the rabbit planes, you can really muck up your your material there. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I attempted to do a simple rabbit, even if it was just refining and suddenly discovering, oh, look, it has a nice slant to it.
1: You know, and sure. let me add in there, there is a slight variation on this, the Veritas side rabbit plane is something that I actually, it's very specialty, but I think it is something that for a power tool user can be very helpful. Uh, Let's say you have something where, you know, things aren't always perfect, right? So you might have a panel that maybe it's slightly thicker or maybe as you ran a workpiece to create a groove for that panel, something moved during the process so the actual groove itself is not consistent all the way across so what if you have just one area that's a little bit tight you know so you could certainly try to thin out the panel in that area or if you've got this uh, side rabbit plane I find it very handy to just kind of run that uh, alongside this groove and just peel a little bit off and you just kind of open it up a little bit and now it fits perfectly so you know again but look how specialty that thing is because what I'm, I'm not thinking about plowing it out I'm thinking about refining it after it's been plowed already.
2: Right. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, Veritas also makes those like detail grooving planes, those little tiny guys. Yeah. Um, and th- there's no fence on them. You know, it's it's not designed to create a groove. I mean, it can, but it's designed to work in an, a groove that already exists, very right, much right. like like a router plane or like that side rabbit plane. Sure. So, you know, if we were to look at at the the
1: spectrum of joinery planes, I would have a hard time saying anything other than maybe a router plane. Yeah, the router plane is super high on the list for me. It's uh, like you know, like a scraper. I think is a good transitional tool for a power tool woodworker because it's it's stupid easy to use uh, once it's tuned up. I find that the um, router plane is the same way. It's something that a power tool user can really wrap their brain around because you have controllable depth. Once you clear the material, it's gone, and you can't accidentally go too deep. And uh, it's a very controllable process. And I think it's a great introduction to to using hand tools to get the job done. But it also does that refining part. You're not making the joinery, you're refining the joinery that you cut. So I think a router plane is probably number one, I think, on my list of of joinery-related planes that you would want to add to your collection.
2: If for no other reason than stopped dados. Yeah. Stopped (laughs) grooves. Yeah. Coming right up. Now, let's put it this way. Any plane... Can be replaced with a chisel if you want to go real old school. So, before Mm -hmm. somebody starts saying, I don't use any router plane, I just chisel it out. Yes, absolutely. All hand tools spring from chisels.
1: (laughs) So, you know, if you want
2: to get real old school, you can go back to chisels. But I can't think of uh, a faster, more efficient way to refine a stop dado unless you want to like round off the the male part of the joint, I suppose, <laughs> you know, if you're cutting it on, on a, on a table saw, you're going to end up with that slightly, uh, sloped in. If you're cutting it on a, um, router table, you can end up with a rounded end. Um, in that case yeah, you need a chisel it, or something.
1: If I'm, if I'm using the table saw, that's when the router plane is going to come out. If I'm using the router table, it's pure chisel because it's just two or three chops and you're done. Right.
0: Right. Cool. All
1: right. Well, um, Matt, do you have anything you want to add to that before we move on?
0: Uh, just simply, I have a plow plane that I use only f- because I try to justify it to myself that I have it.
1: <laughs> well, see, but that's <laughs> the thing, right? If, if it's fun for you and you enjoy using it, then who is who am I to tell you not to? You know I mean? That's right. a huge part of this process is your own satisfaction. Right. Right. You
0: know, and actually w- with the, like, say, the, the small Veritas plow plane that I have, one thing that I, I've considered, I haven't actually done it yet, but I was thinking about it, is it has a... I think the smallest blade on there you can get is like an eighth of an inch or something. And there's a part of me that if I was to do, say, some inlay at near the end or near the edge, I would almost kind of want to have the slow and control of using that versus a, a router. Because we all know I love routers. <laughs> they and like, you like
1: to make them dance on your hand, like uh, that's right, yeah, <laughs> like I a basketball. Kind
0: of, they, they're <laughs> a palm of my hand. I'm amazing with them. Uh, but you know, that's one thing I consider because that was like something where again I, I could have the control over it and i could even like kind of literally eyeball it and if i start seeing something going wrong i could potentially pull back on it but again i'm kind of grasping at straws on that one
2: well yeah. in general i think the smaller and more detailed the especially the smaller the project piece and the more detailed it gets you it not only is a little bit safer but you do have more control um, you know that that router bit spinning at however many thousand rpms can screw things up real, real fast. So there is a there's like a, a safety in the in the sense of not drawing blood, but safety and you feel better. you know, you feel like you're not gonna screw this up. Mm, right. So I do think that there's some merit to that. And you know, I'm, I'm glad we hit on the fact that some of this stuff can actually be done faster with a hand tool. And that really comes down to this one-off type work that Mark mentioned earlier. Yeah. So, and I don't want to, this is, this is the hand tooler in me who's starting to revolt at this conversation, who <laughs> <laughs> wants to justify this. But, you know, I, I do feel that there are times when it just makes more sense for me to grab my hand plane. And that's one of the things that, that forced me away from, like, specifically, the router table. I don't do a lot of production stuff. Um, And I can cut a groove in a drawer bottom uh, or in a drawer side faster than it would take me, especially in my small shop, right? I've got to wheel the the router out, you know, chuck up a bit, plug it in, hook up the dust collection. You know, I'm done. I'm done with that drawer. So I think that's where a lot of people, especially some of the pros who are all about time – I think that's where you'll see them reach for these these tools.
1: Sure. These, well, and you've tools. also got. I mean, how many times are you truly just building one drawer? Um, and I think that's where the argument goes the other way is when you know most things have two drawers, three drawers, four drawers, or you know a chest of drawers. You got a lot of these things to do. So now you're multiplying. Every drawer has four grooves. Times four or five drawers. Now you Great. lose, you know. So it's again, it's how you want to spend that time. And and in a pro shop, it's really difficult to spend that time to justify spending that time using a a hand a hand tool method to make a groove.
2: All right, and then the last segment is kind of the leftover stuff, but I also think this is where we will find the most adoption from the power tool user, and that would be chisels. Files and rasps. Um, I put boring in here and that doesn't really qualify because I think most of us are going to grab a cordless drill or a drill press yeah, before yeah. they go with the brace and bed or egg beater drill. So um, let's not even talk about that because I don't think it's worthwhile.
0: Um, but chisels, yeah, My father-in-law gave me one and I, I only break it out when he's visiting.
1: Well, I have one too, but it, I call it wall decoration. <laughs>
0: nice. <laughs> nice. I see you're going the uh rate uh the uh, way of Crackle Barrel.
1: Yes, exactly. I have Crack- a, Cracker Barrel. I have street crackle signs barrel. and all kinds of stuff. <laughs> yeah.
2: So,
0: Mark,
1: you you like to
2: sculpt stuff? Um, I do. It's definitely in your kind of your idiom. Uh, your design idiom is to sculpt stuff. Would you call me? And idiot. Yeah, I heard it. I heard it. you were folks. <laughs> you design idiot. <laughs> so obviously, we've seen the turbo planes and the the yeah. um, what's the other thing called?
1: Uh, The Lancelot. Yes, uh, the the
0: chainsaw on a stick. The Holy Galahad. Dancing on your hands. (laughs) Mm
1: -hmm.
2: So we've seen you use that type of stuff lately, but um, I think it's safe to say every time you use those, a rasp or a file is involved at the same time, wouldn't you say? Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, it's something that I, if I'm doing some light duty sculpting and just creating uh, curves or profiles, I may go rasp all the way. But if I have a lot of stuff to, to like a lot of stock to remove, the rasps will always be there as sort of part of the refining process.
2: Right. It's kind of that. Um, uh, I don't know if Christopher Schwartz came up with this, but the coarse, medium, and fine idea. Yeah. Where you use the right tool at each stage, and if you use it, you know, not long enough in the coarse stage, you're going to do a heck of a lot more work and the medium and fine. Totally, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um what about the chisel side of things? I mean, it seems to be like the iconic woodworking tool, but Not as sure. a person that's forming their joinery and doing their milling with all these power tools, how often does the chisel
1: come out and what do you use it for? I use it for a lot. Chisels are just one of those things in the hand tool world that I truly enjoy using Um, and and you get a decent set of chisels, you get good at using them, you get good at chopping to a line and suddenly it just becomes much more fun to use. So there's a lot of things that I might use them for that I might, might not truly even need to. I just enjoy it yeah. Um, but it really comes down to refining joinery. We mentioned to stop dados before. Um, there are just so many times where I'll chop to a line, get pretty close with the power tool, and then come back in with that chisel to refine it. Um, you know, there was a, something on a Blacker House chair, for instance, where we had to scribe in the arms into the back leg, and that's a crucial thing. You really want that extra support back there, and there's really no great power tool way to do it. So, so. We did incorporate power tools, but essentially we line it up, we scribe it with a knife, and then you use a a router to remove the bulk, excuse me, much like uh, putting a hinge in or something like that, where you use the router to remove the bulk, and you come back with the chisel to refine it. You know, and that's just a process that's very satisfying. It's not too daunting because most of the stock was removed by the router bit, but the chisel really does the fun stuff, the magic, and brings you right back to that line and you have a perfect crisp notch that you then put that arm into. So for me, it's it's like I would say 99% is refining what I'm doing.
2: Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah, it's kind of like it's like reaching for a pencil, you know? Kinda, I mean, it's yeah. Stupid <laughs> simple is. Tool. If it know, wouldn't small, stab me in, in the, the ball chest. of your hand, and you can get into the most detailed areas and 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 remove whatever you need to.
1: Yeah, I'd keep them know. in my apron if they wouldn't stab me in the chest. <laughs> yeah,
2: that's a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: and, and, and I, it's so funny because like I think the more proficient I feel like I've, I've become with my chisels, the more I find myself doing a lot of, I guess for the lack of a better description, almost like freehand uh, refining with it. Uh, I've, I've even gone so far as to refine end grain on. Not necessarily smaller boards, but even kind of longer ones because you can hold it just the right way and just slice a small amount off to reveal some of that beautiful end grain.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely, and and I think another area you're going to use it a lot is squaring up mortises. If you're making mortises in a power tool shop, chances are you're using a router at least some of the time, and that's going to give you a round ended mortise. And you have a choice: you either round over your tenon to match, or you square up the mortise. So there's going to be times I think in a if it's a real deep mortise, I'd rather just round over the tenon, uh, but if it's a shallow mortise, it might just be easier to square it up. You know, so there's a lot of times where the the round bits create a round profile, you need to get that nice and square. And a chisel is the perfect way to do it. Nice.
2: nice. Well, and, and I think that kind of covers the the universe of tools. So then we, we come to the question, going a little bit back to, to Dave's original question, you know, what what is the value add? What are the tasks that you either can't
0: or won't go to a hand tool for and, and why?
1: I'll let Matt mm. go first because I've been talking a lot.
0: Oh wow! No, I was hoping you would, so I could just agree with you. <laughs> uh huh. <laughs> what he said. What, what, what is a task that I won't go to a hand tool with? You you either refuse just on the principle of the thing, or
2: you won't do it because there's a much better way somewhere else.
0: Oh, well, I think the, the 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 obvious one for me, and I mentioned it kind of at the beginning, is uh, when it comes to the handsaw, I, I don't rip my boards. I do that only on a, a table saw, or even maybe even a bandsaw, depending on whether the wood is really rough or not. I won't even make the attempt to do it with a handsaw simply because it's not that you can't. It's just that for me, it's going to be so much more efficient uh, and probably way better results if, if I do it uh, with a power tool. And the same thing with resawing. Uh, sure, there are ways that you could, even with smaller boards, resaw by hand, um, but I'm not going to. <laughs> that's funny you bring that up. That's like the last
2: vestige. It's the last holdout of the hand tool woodworker. They all secretly have a bandsaw hiding in the corner somewhere, just for resawing.
1: Yeah, I think any any job that would make me sweat while I was doing it is off the table.
0: <laughs> well, that that pretty much uh, that, that's a very wide girth for me. <laughs> Everything makes me sweat. You know, another one actually is uh, decorative edge details and stuff. S- sim- basically. Anything that I can have as a router bit profile, Um, I don't use uh, um, profiled hand planes for it. I I, I think they're really neat, and I know you could definitely, that's a rabbit hole that you can go down unbelievably. But I look at those, and I keep thinking, "Mm, you know, this is, again, another one of those. I could chuck up a really awesome router bit in my router and go to town with it and have the results in no time at all.
1: You know, when the, one of my favorite chapters in the book, and this is something I went back and forth with the editor on to find a very PC way of doing this because I, I wanted to call it Hand Tools You Don't Need. And, <laughs> and we thought that that might be just a little too opinionated, so we backed it off and said, Hand Tools to consider, maybe later. So in <laughs> other words, someone may find a use for it, but I don't recommend you buy it. And uh, let me just read some of these off. First of all, and, and by what the plane does, you'll know what tasks I would never do. Uh, scrub plane.
0: I just don't. Oh, fit. that's the one I use for when I'm scrubbing the floors.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> I scrub plane up. is meant to remove lots of stock in a hurry. It's a very rough part of the milling process. And the milling process is something that I will never do with hand, to- hand tools unless I'm doing a very specialty situation uh, like wide boards and I need to pre mill. A surface, I might do it then. But ultimately, most of my standard boards that fit on my jointer and through my planer, and they get cut down on either the bandsaw or the table saw. That is not stuff I'm ever going to do by hand. Um, I put the jointer plane on this list because I think you can, you'd be better served with a smaller plane. Uh, Even though you know jointer plane is great for jointing edges, you know I I just don't think there's anything else that you really need to do with it. Uh, And matte molding planes is on that list. Yes. Uh, and I think I think Megan Fitzpatrick, when she was when she was doing the preview of this book and the final editing, she uh, was like, you know, I think I have
0: to take issue with you on that. <laughs> and, and you're welcome to, but keep reading.
1: Yes, exactly. <laughs> Do your job, lady. Um, no, it was. It, she's got a point, and I could see why people like it. And and I, but for me, I just don't see a need for molding planes.
0: Well,
2: there's there's a real. Um I don't know, uh, movement, if you will, with molding planes. And the, the idea is, well, you can make whatever profile you want. You're not limited to the shape of the router bit. And as someone who really likes that about molding planes, mm-hmm. at the same time, I'll say, does anybody care or even notice? You know, it, oh, look at the, the unique shaping of that OG. No,
1: no. <laughs> No, no it's cares. it's an OG. <laughs> no
2: one notices if you used a router bit for that or if you used a molding. Now, I think if you're doing restoration work, like exact restoration, oh sure. you kind of have to go this way unless yeah. you're going to, you know, grind your own router bits right so yeah it's any wonder why the hollows and rounds have become more popular with the period furniture guys than anything else
1: right now uh, another one on my list frame saws and panel saws now again we talked about the panel saw special situation but in terms of in the shop I I have no use for either one in fact I had to go to Shannon to get a picture of a frame saw (laughs) because I didn't have one to show Um, uh, let's see bit and brace hand drill egg beater style drills those are also on that list for me
2: Nice. Well, you brought it up earlier, and I threw this in. If you are forced to deal with a situation where you have to do it by hand, for instance, when you've got a wide board that you have to mill, um, what's the, the the concession here? Um, you know, because even even the most dedicated power tool guy I see still won't just break out, you know, a four plane or a joiner plane and mill it in, entirely by hand. There's some sort of jigged solution yeah. here.
1: Yeah. Uh, usually, well, what I do is redesign the project.
2: Yeah, <laughs> that was actually where I was going. <laughs> Screw it! I'm <laughs> so glad you said that. That's the one thing that most people like. They're, oh, I'm going to build a sled or something like that. Hell no! I'm just going to make it so it doesn't have to be that wide. Yeah, and then rip the do-over. boards
0: down to more manageable sizes that fit on my jointer. Yeah. Uh, you know, actually, I I have done plenty of times where I will take uh, say a jack plane uh, to a rough board, a, a much wider one, and knock it down enough that I can run it through. The thickness planer, in fact, I, I don't have a problem at all doing that. Uh, I, well, actually, I should say depending on the size of the board. If it's really long and wide, then I'll just be like, mm, yeah, the redesign probably is the better option. Uh, but Truly, how often do you come across a
2: board that's wider than your typical lunchbox planer you know, that, that you're very actually often. using in a project?
0: Almost Never.
1: Yeah, it's more I the jointer, it's more the jointer that's the issue for the most part if it's too wide right. for the jointer. You've got to get a flat face on there somehow. How are you going to do it if you can't fit it on your jointer? Yep. Well, there's uh there is a fairly easy uh method and it does involve some extra stuff, but you can use your jointer to to do it and that's involves removing the guard and just making a few passes repeatedly, getting as much of the width of the board as you can, which essentially ke- creates like a, a plateau. Kind of thing that kind of drops down. And so you'll have like three quarters of the board that's nice and flat. And then all you need to do is slide a piece of plywood under the flat side. And then run the whole thing through your planer, and that then cleans up the opposing side. And you flip right. it one more Right, down.
2: In other words, the yeah. plywood now references off the planer bed.
1: Yeah, exactly. So, so that is one real quick way to do it. But um, you know, if you're dealing with something like a really twisted board, uh, even if it fits on your jointer just fine, a twisted board is something that you could save yourself a heck of a lot of time by using a hand plane at the the corners that are offending the most. Because right. think about with the twist. It only like you push through and one, one portion of the push it's, put, it's down this is really hard to say um, <laughs> you know as you're pushing through the first half seems to want to go one way and the second half of the push wants to go the other way and that's the nature of the, the twist so how do you kind of just balance it perfectly there it's very difficult to do but if you knock off the corners you make it a lot easier to stabilize as you push mm-hmm. it over and you get more yield out of that board too
2: I could say that's actually an area where I use a scrub plane all the time um, yeah. I these days I don't have anything to prove to anybody. I use the planer a lot for milling, but I don't obviously don't have a joiner anymore. And I don't have to get a perfectly flat face, I just need to get a face that doesn't rock. Yeah, get it close. Um, yeah, you know, so it, as long as it registers stable, stably, stably, stretches Stab- without moving, stability along times. the length of my <laughs> planer bed, I'm, I'm good to go. And yeah. I found that the scrub plane does a really good job at that because I'm talking two passes instead of 10. Yeah, it's super
1: fast. It's a super fast thing, but if you're doing this sort of strategic incorporation of tools, the scrub plane just for that isn't, it's a tough sell, you know? So if you have another plane, a jack plane for instance, you could take a thicker cut um, and actually be a little bit more aggressive. It won't be as fast as the scrub plane, but if you're looking for that one, sort of one tool that does it all, you you could do that with a jack plane. In fact, that's exactly what I do. Yeah, um,
0: it, it, it's a perfect example of why you would maybe have, say, a second blade for that jack plane. I I have mm-hmm. one that is pure rough, and then I have another one that's nice and smooth.
1: Yeah, and you could put a little camber on it, kind of make it like a mini uh, mini scrub plane.
0: <laughs> well, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you know? I have a nasty camber on it, to be quite honest, to really make it a scrub plane. There you go. <laughs> Very nice.
2: Well, then let's let's kind of look at this from the last perspective. You're you're a power tool woodworker or you consider yourself to be a hybrid woodworker, or you just you eschew titles altogether because they really t- just piss you off. Regardless, you're in a situation where you are thinking about getting rid of a tool. And, and this is a question that comes from Rob. He says, um, What would it take for you to get rid of your table saws forever? Or if you don't use a table saw, uh, pick a similarly versatile and time-saving tool that you use on practically every project. If you had to give up a tool tomorrow, how much longer would it take to cut all your pieces uh talking percentage wise um, compared to building the same project with that tool? Do you think you could adapt to working just as efficiently with alternative tools so this this is speaking to the person that maybe doesn't have that complete power tool shop like like Dave had where you can handle almost everything. And instead of turning around and saying, "Okay, you know the Norm Abrams approach," you need to go and get that table saw or get that band saw. Um, what do you think? You know, time savings is. I'm getting pretty generic here on purpose.
0: So, so, um, so now we're talking about the the existing tools in our shop, right?
2: If okay. you had to get rid of, say, a really versatile tool. How much time do you think that would add, or would you be able to replace that tool with something else you already have without,
0: you know, major major sacrifices?
1: It's going to depend greatly on the tool. Yeah,
0: <laughs> you, know, you know, I mean, the, I think the the, the tool. I'm, I'm just going to go. I'm, I'm just going. I'm going to rip the band-aid off. I'm going to say my table saw. If I got rid of my table saw, sure, there there are definitely things that I would probably be grimacing about, but I have a feeling that the combination of my bandsaw and Maybe if I took the time to fine tune my miter saw, I probably would be able to do so much. I would be able to do pretty much the same thing with those because I have a decent router. So I could do, say, my my grooves and my rabbits, which I prefer to do on the table saw. I could do that, say, with the router. Mm -hmm. I I could rip. uh, I could cross cut all that stuff with the bandsaw. Or again, I could cross cut with the miter saw, get more accurate cuts with the miter saw, which right now my most accurate. Mitered cuts or or cross cuts are on my table saw simply because I haven't taken the time to really uh, fine tune the miter saw. And even when it comes to doing those rip cuts, say on the bandsaw, once you have your bandsaw all tuned up and you account for drift and you get your fence in place, it's very easy to get duplicate rip cuts like you would with your uh, saw on or with your fence on your table saw. And if you're concerned about the edge being a little fuzzy or something like that, again, I have my jointer and I have my thickness planer. It's very easy for me to take care of those edges. Or here's an idea. I could use my hand plane also right. to take <laughs> Thank care <you>. of those.
2: <laughs> <laughs> that was the point, I think, of this question is for those of us that don't have that fully tricked out shop, maybe this whole equation changes then. And now suddenly right. these hand tools become more valuable.
0: Right. Yeah. Because I Definitely. mean really when it comes down to it, I think – My table saw for things like – for rip cuts especially, it's almost like a crutch because I know I can get super accurate cuts from it the first time or at least nearly the first time. But worse comes to worse, if I absolutely needed to make space, I needed to sell something off, I could get rid of the table saw and with all my other existing tools, I could easily get the same result. I just would maybe take a few more minutes to do it. You can have my can table guys, saw. when can you, you guys it. hear the pinging of the inbox right now for
2: Matt saying that the table saw is a crutch? I can, yeah. I can hear the emails coming in right now.
1: <laughs> yeah, totally. And uh, you can have my table saw when you pry it from my cold dead hands. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I don't think Mark's going to give his table saw. You're, what is it for you, Mark? Uh, the lathe? It's my everything, Shannon. Um, yeah the table saw is not going anywhere for me and I do use the bandsaw for a lot of my ripping I understand the arguments that people use for getting rid of the table saw and all the power to them but the table saw is still regardless of what people say it is the uh, most versatile tool in my shop uh, from joinery to milling, if I want a nice, clean, parallel edge that gives me a pretty much a glue ready edge on the surface, there, uh, I can do that at my table saw. I can't do that at my bandsaw. Uh, I get a little bit of a wavy cut at the bandsaw, and sure, I could tune it up with a hand plane, or I could have just been done five minutes ago with my table saw. Um,
2: now, is it is it really pretty much a glue ready edge, or is it a glue ready edge?
1: there are times when I have done glue joints right off of the table saw. It's not my, it's not my think I ever did anything when I was using my table. saw. I just glued them up. It's (laughs) it's really, really a bad woodworker. Well, it kind of depends on the wood and and the surface. You know, If you're dealing with a really dense wood that causes you to sort of change your feed rate as you go, you're going to have sort of stutter stops and you're going to see if you look at the edge, you'll have a little irregularity there. It could benefit from another pass over the jointer. Um, But if you have a really good, at least a 40 tooth or more blade on there, you're probably going to get a smooth enough uh, glue ready edge that as long as it's square, you don't really have to do anything else to it. And that convenience for me is huge. Um, You know, aside from all the joinery options that I have, the uh, things that I can do with the dado blade on there, it's just too much of an argument to keep the thing. Um, But I do see when when safety then becomes, let's say you have a nasty, nasty kickback and you really start to think, well, now my priorities are shifting. I know that this can do a lot of things for me, but I'm going to find other ways to do it. That's a different conversation. But I think when we're talking about pure utility, um, like I said, You're never going to get my table saw out of my hands.
0: (laughs) I'm going to use the chisels to get it out of your hand. Actually, inversely, (laughs) if I could only have one tool – it's going to be that table saw. I'm going to get rid of the other ones because of all those reasons you just listed.
1: That's such a that's so con, like counterintuitive from what you said before, though. Like the first <laughs> one you would get rid of is the table saw, but it's also Ooh, the only one Colin you would Matt out. No, no, no. I mean, there might be there might he might have logic well, but, behind yeah, it. Yeah, but
0: if I had to get rid of one tool and I could keep all the other ones, then yeah, the table saw will ah. go because I have the other ones to fall back on. But right, so there's, there's some, some redundancy. Turned around and they said you could only keep one tool. Then I'm keeping the uh, the, the, uh, the table saw interesting. So your desert island tool is the table saw my desert island tool is the table saw <laughs> but if it comes down to sophie 's choice <laughs>
2: <laughs> well I think this is really interesting and and again probably one of the reasons that i 'm quote moderating this this show because there is this this renaissance of of hand tools and all anybody can talk about is hand tools. And going back to Dave's original question, he's like reading about hand planes and thinking maybe I need to get one. And, and just his rational response is, well, why, why do I really need one? And so I guess the answer is, you know, you probably don't. And we hear about, well, I use my shoulder plane, my rabbit plane, my chisels to refine my joinery. Well, um, do you really refine your joinery off the table saw that much? I mean, and we're talking, Mark. No, you're. I don't. You're a proficient table saw user. You know your way around a table saw. I know where the on um, button is. <laughs> you're yeah. right. So you know, is 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 this? I refine them with hand planes. Is this an indication to somebody that doesn't know how to use a table saw? Putting you on the spot. I know. Or is it? You know, I just feel like when I was when I was in this boat when I was using all power tools, I didn't do any refining. <laughs>
1: Yeah, put it together it's, off the off the table saw. It's a lot of being picky, is what it can be like. As you get more and more into woodworking, and you raise the bar on your quality level, having your joinery be a few thousandths off. Let's say you're making a whole bunch of tenons. Just the pressure you put down on the workpiece can alter the the final thickness of that tenon, and it can lead to a, a variable fit from from part to part. And the more picky you get. And let's face it, we do a lot of the times we nitpick about this stuff. Um, you're going to have a harder time getting perfect results right off of the the table saw like that. So, what some people can do as a bit of a fudge factor, but also making the process fun for uh, you know because using hand tools is fun for most right. people, um, is to say let's just leave that just a hair on a thick side because I know that if I aim for perfection I'm either going to it's going to be plus or minus one let's say so I'm either going to be a little bit too thin or a little bit too thick so let me go plus two and then use a hand tool to refine the fit and get it perfect so that I know I always have a little bit of extra material there and then I can find finesse uh, all of the the tenons to fit into the appropriate mortise. And that can be more time consuming. So it kind of depends on the project and if I have a lot of these things to do, I'm not really going to be refining them all. I'll probably make them all fit snug and then, if some of them need to be worked, maybe just even take a shoulder plane and do a couple of passes on each side to make sure I have the freedom to get that thing into the mortise. So, no, ultimately, this is not something, you know, if your power tools are tuned up and you're consistent about what you do and your setup is accurate, you don't necessarily absolutely need to go into the hand tool world to get good fitting joinery.
2: Well, here's an interesting question. If you do intentionally make that tendon fat. You do intentionally err on the side of, uh, to use your term, plus two. Do you skip the test cut?
1: no you can you can that is one of the uh, times when you actually can do that because if let's say you're making a tenon, you're going to take a pass on each side, let's say you're at the table saw and you've got your dado stack in there, take a pass on each side, and make sure it's fat, you know you're going to keep the blade a little bit low and you've got right. your mortise to test, so you make it fat and you just kind of sneak up on it and you're only cutting the tenon on maybe the last quarter inch. Of the board. You're not cutting the entire thing yet. And that's where you're doing your test cut. Once you have the fit you want on that little quarter inch tip of the tenon, then you can actually do the final few passes and work your way back to the shoulder. So that is one way to get around using a, a test piece.
2: It's interesting because I'm, I'm thinking in terms of, you know, this. Is, these are my people who are screaming and yelling right now, going, yeah, but you've got to spend all the time setting stuff up and making test cuts. And I and I think what it comes down to is is what you just said. Yes, there's a test cut, but it's in the same piece that you're cutting from. It so.
1: can be, yeah. And I like to have I always mill extra stock along with it because I don't want to accidentally do something uh, <laughs> and screw up. So I do like to have stock, especially because if you make a big mistake, you've got an extra piece there. It's an extra work piece. So I will still make that extra piece and do my test cuts. But the you know going to the advantage side of things, once everything is set up, it's a batching process. I don't have to you know I shouldn't have to finesse every tenon to make it absolutely perfect but if you're really getting picky about it, that variability, think about the, the crosscut sled. Uh, by nature, sometimes that plywood may not be sitting perfectly flat. You may have a little bit of a bow in it, so the pressure you put down, the downward pressure, if you're not absolutely consistent for every pass, you will have variability in the thickness of your tenons, and that's where that uh, router plane comes in, right? Because you set it for the, the perfect depth, a few passes, whatever's proud is proud, and you make every tenon perfect, and it's a very quick process to refine the joinery.
2: Well, and this this goes back to one of our older shows where we talked about measuring and accuracy and precision.
1: Yeah.
2: You know, if we can uh, use a CAD drawing and say, okay, all of my rails and styles need to be this long, exactly, Mm -hmm. then you just set it up and you you batch it out. But so many of us, um, whether we're afraid of math or (laughs) have been bitten by that process we do all our kind of relative dimensioning work and in that i think is the realm of the hand tool
1: i do think that's a great point i think if you're in that relative dimensioning um mindset it really lends itself well to hand tool use because part of the process is is cutting to fit and it's so easy to overcut on it on a power tool but it's something that's you can really sneak up with uh with handles and and, it, and let's just you know put it out there it's going to take longer if you have multiples if you do it this way but that's you know we're not all doing very few of us i think the people who are listening to the show i'd imagine very few are doing this for a living you're doing it because you enjoy it and if you have fun with that refining process you're going to want to do this stuff you know and it does yeah that that tenon's going to go into a mortise and it's going to have glue on it and no one's ever going to know that you had the absolute perfect fit no one's going to give a crap but you'll know and right. when you finally present that object to somebody, you'll have that that pride in it because it's, it was built the way you wanted it to be built. All
2: right. So as promised at the outset of this episode, we said that we would save the answer to the end. So, Matt, when does a hand tool make more sense and when is it just dumb?
0: Um, <laughs> a hand tool makes more sense when for me it just it purely comes down to the refinement uh that said to be quite honest with you the way i look at it is if you have something that works for you i'm of the mindset now don't mess around with it just kind of stick with it because the worst thing i've run into is the people that are like yeah but you have to do this because i get great results with it yeah Mm. but when we compare our results side by side they look the same it's just you we did we did it two different ways Mm -hmm. mark rational or dumb
1: well, this is purely this is only something that can be answered personally because what's dumb for me? <laughs> Come on, I'm waiting for somebody to say it's look, dumb. Well, look, what's <laughs> dumb for me is what Shannon calls woodworking. <laughs> <laughs> so it's very very. <laughs> oh, I think I saw that in chapter three. I to me, I, I mean, to be honest, I I for myself, I think it's dumb to use hand tools for for milling boards. Uh, but that's just me. I don't think it's dumb for Shannon to do it. That's because. He's entitled to do things the way he wants in his shop. In my shop, it's dumb. Uh, You know, I do think, just like Matt mentioned, that using the hand tools for refinement purposes, they give me that little hand tool mojo that I want to have, that little uh, little something, uh, that je ne sais quoi in my projects, they give me that. But I don't have to go all whole hog hand tool to get that. You know, so again, very personal for me, and I think everybody—the the answer is going to be different for everybody. At where that fine line between sensible and dumb is—it's very personal. Very nice. Taking the gloves off, Shannon. I like it. I like it. Well, gentlemen, I think I think
2: we've we've successfully beaten this horse dead. And, yeah, uh, I'd say so. You know, it, it's—I wanted to, to tackle this because Mark, you said it at the outset of this, I'm so tired of these labels. You know, we're doing this because we have fun with it. So um, if you are having fun and going back to Dave, it sounds like he's having a lot of fun. um, You may not need to mess with it. But if you feel like something's missing from your life, maybe a hand tool is a good decision.
1: Yeah, definitely. And, and you know what? The other thing too is there are other tools. There are other planes, joinery planes. I mean we didn't even talk about a shoulder plane or the rabbiting block plane. There's a lot of things we didn't cover in this and that really wasn't the point. We just kind of wanted to to touch on certain things as we go. So if you have some hand tools that you really consider essential and you are a power tool user let us know we'll, we'll read it in a future show on kickback just to get an idea but but understand that we definitely missed some things that if we had more time we probably would have talked about better uh, yet leave it in the-, the comments below this post yeah there you go we don't want to talk about this again so just leave yeah, it in I was the comments that
0: that, <laughs> that's going to take up a whole entire episode on its own all of the kickback that's going to come back from this one
1: yeah and you know what and I will never have an opportunity this good to pitch my book <laughs> because I mean this is <laughs> <laughs> really this is in my wheelhouse um, so if you go to twwstore.com just look for the hybrid woodworking book you can get the digital version at popular woodworking's website um, and this really the goal of my, the book was not to really sway your opinion in any way but to just arm you with the information to make these exact decisions that we were talking about like when does it make sense when doesn't it make sense and it's on a scale and it's a personal thing and I give you the tools you need to find out what's right for you not necessarily what I think you should use um, and then I use my own experience as an example to kind of guide you through the process so um i think it's a good read if this is the stuff you're interested in
0: i think it's gonna be i I think it's gonna be funny to see the results to see whose premium membership is going to go up will it be (laughs) the guy on the the power tool side or the guy on the hand tool side
2: right (laughs) well i'll just skew the odds in mark's favor by saying hybrid woodworking truly i've referred many people to that because i've had i've had Several hand tool school members who have gone whole hog in hand tools and have regretted it. Right, um, and now they're, they're they're hand tool joinery folks, but they don't want to touch a bench plane with a ten foot pole. And they got into it because it seemed quaint and neat, and oh, that'll be real fun. And it turned out to just be a nightmare.
0: Um, well, it's, I'll, it's, I'll even go so everybody. far as to say some of the some of the emails that we get. Uh, that don't necessarily make it onto the show. There's been a few that it's pretty obvious. Somebody's like, this was a really cool hand tool. I don't know what I'm doing with it and help me justify why I have it. (laughs) Right. You know, there's a lot of that. Yeah. We're being
2: told that we should have that plane or this, you know, saw or whatever saws, especially now. That seems to
0: be the the latest thing, and people, oh, yeah, buy especially it and, the sternal notch saw. I hear that one's yeah. huge right now. <laughs> That's it's very
1: strange. very rare, but it's uh it's coming up. Watch out for it. Yeah. All right. Well, great so anyway, topic. This was a fantastic conversation. And uh, Matt, how about you? Give them the contact info, and we'll get out of here.
0: All right, folks. Hey, you have a comment, question, or topic suggestion? Maybe another single topic idea for us. You have several different ways to contact us. Leave a voicemail on on Skype. Our username is Wood Talk Online. Call our voicemail line at 623-242-5180. Email us at woodtalkonline at gmail.com or leave us a comment on our Wood Talk Facebook page. And if you're looking for the show notes or downloads from today's show or previous episodes, you're going to find those over at woodtalkshow.com and we strongly encourage you to leave comments about today's episode right over there. Let's get the discussion going amongst all of you. Not not just with us. Let's do With it. everybody.
1: This is the start of the conversation. You guys continue it. Yeah, talk. talks amongst yourselves. Yes. All right. <laughs> well, thank you for listening, everyone, and we'll catch you next time. See ya. See ya.
2: This podcast is part of the Frog Pants Studios
1: Network. For more information about this and other shows, visit frogpants.com. Audio programs so good, it's like you're there.